Well, this morning, we are continuing a series called Revealed. It's really, a, we do have an agenda, and the agenda is to get you back into your Bibles. Really, there is no other reference point for us to find our faith, our morality, our guide, our compass for our life. And so, we wanted to pick 10 Old Testament stories. Now, the problem with this morning um, not that it's a problem, but the challenge this morning is I'm not teaching a narrative. That means it's not a story. Uh, it comes out of Leviticus, and it's the first seven chapters. If you've read Leviticus, you might have quit very early uh, because it's basically what kind of animals to sacrifice and when and how and where. And I want to unpack that. It actually is one of my most favorite books because I believe it has such large road signs to Jesus, but also to who we are in our faith. Let me ask you a question. What is the difference between when someone says, I believe or know somebody, and they talk about it, how differently are they going to respond or act when someone, that person is in their presence? So let me illustrate. Allie went to uh, Life Fest this weekend, and so she said she was down there. You went to a table. And they said, this girl said, you were with a few friends, and said, wait, you guys are from Green Bay? Have you heard of Green Bay Community Church, right? Right? So, you know, I don't, I don't know how you responded, but I know that then they said, and do you know the Murphys? And so Allie's right there, you know, and so I think they go, yeah, here's one of them right here. Um, and, and I thought, wow, that's interesting. You could talk about something, but when Allie was there, there's a different interaction. Let me, let me expand it a little bit more. In the 1930s, there were three teenagers that got on a bus in Detroit. Three teenagers that got on a bus and started picking a fight with a black gentleman in the back of the bus. They started to pick a fight, all bus stop after bus stop after bus stop, but this man did not do a thing. Then he stood up. And they all realized they had underestimated the size of this man and realized there might be a problem. This man did nothing except pull out a business card and hand it to the three boys and then walked off the bus. The card said, Joe Lewis, boxer. <laughs> Little did these boys know that within years he would become the most world famous, even to this day, Muhammad Ali's second boxer would have been different if those boys would have known that's who it was? What would have been their interaction? I think the reason I'm asking that question this morning, because a lot of people today say they're Christian. They wear a label. And what we mean by being a Christian, there is a belief system, and I want to unpack that this morning. It reminds me of this Joyce Meyer quote, Christianity is a lifestyle, and being a Christian is more than a label. 83% of Americans today say that they're Christian. What does it mean to be a Christian? Does it mean to just associate with something or parts of something that you like? Because if it really truly is that you know Jesus, wouldn't you be different? We, we need to ask the question this morning is, what does it mean to be Christian? Some of you here are here for the first time. You're giving church another chance. You're, you're giving God another chance in some ways. 
Some of you have been here for a long time. I think it's a fair question for all of us this morning to reevaluate what does it mean to be Christian? The scriptures are filled with language about being disciples of Christ, being followers of Jesus. In the book of Acts, it says one time, let's call them Christians. That's the term that we use today. Has it lost some of its impact? When we say Christian, does it mean we know him personally? Do not beat the, this, this horse down too hard, but I want to get and unpack a couple terms before we get into these uh, chapters in Leviticus. What does it mean to believe? In Scripture, it means to be persuaded of, to place confidence in, or to trust. See, today we say, oh, I believe that's true. I believe that. I believe in that person. But for us, there's a large separation between belief, right, and a commitment to trust. We believe a lot of things about the world today, but when we say Christian, how far does that belief go? It signifies a reliance upon, not a mere credence. Not just, yeah, I'm Christian. There's parts of the Jesus thing that are pretty cool. Yeah, I read my Bible a couple times. I'll attend church a couple times. And especially here in Northeast Wisconsin, where we've reduced being Christian means some credit-like transfers with God. As if he's got, well, if I do a little church, ba-boom, punch the card. If I give a little bit. If I read my Bible this week, wow, I've stored up some credits. It's almost like a, a spiritual savings account. This morning, if, if we were to have God's presence just any part of his presence here this morning, how differently would we be? How many of us would be questioning the idea of we've said we're Christian, but really have not had that personal relationship, that reality that he is here? So what happened throughout Scripture is when someone would believe, there was an outpouring, there was a product of that belief. In Jewish culture, the idea of having faith in something meant that you actually lived it out in full trust of. You faith, you believed, you started to take steps. And so in the Old Testament, we get these pictures of offerings and sacrifices. Now they're beautiful because, well, they're not beautiful in the physical reality because we're going to talk about a lot of animal stuff and animal sacrifice, but the beautiful part is the expression of belief. I want to unpack for you what does it mean to believe in Jesus? What does it mean to be Christian? To call yourself a Christ follower. And I want to do that through these five sacrifices this morning. And so, um, let me go back. Offering is to, to, it meant to celebrate peace. It was a gift of celebrating a peace with somebody. A sacrifice of alliance or friendship, a voluntary sacrifice of thanks. Now, there are five that are mentioned in Leviticus. Five that are very, very powerfully pointing right to the New Testament. The first three are called the sweet-smelling sacrifices. This sounds odd, being really close to 41 and the, the animal burning factory, right? You drive 41 and you know that is no sweet-smelling aroma, right? In the Old Testament, when the Israelites are, are freed from Egypt... They go into the wilderness and God sets up a sacrificial system that happens. 
24-7. I can't, if you think that plant's bad, I can't imagine what was going on, how it would smell. I'm saying that because you have to look deeper. In Revelation, it actually says that God loves the sweet-smelling aroma of the prayers and sacrifices of the saints. That's us. When we begin to worship God, He loves that. It's like going into a home that's baking fresh bread or, or cookies. There's that, this, this is good. This is what God sees, these first three sacrifices. We'll talk about those in a moment. The second two are not good because they deal with sin. And I want to unpack these this morning, and I want you to look at a couple things. First and foremost is that when Jesus dies, Jesus dies uh, and, and pays the penalty for our sin, it's really for the last two. We'll see that towards the end. The first three really paint a picture about what it means to believe. What it means to believe. Let's, let's look at this. So, the first one in Leviticus chapter 1 is the burnt offering. The burnt offering meant fully burnt up. Everything except the skin. So what would happen is they would have this tent of the meeting and we don't have time to get into the structure of the tent. It was amazing, but we read Leviticus 1 verse 3. If the offering is a burnt offering from the herd, you were to offer a male. You'll often hear this about male or female sacrifices. And uh, for sin... God will ask for a male. Remember we heard the story that Damien talked about, Abraham and Isaac, and the sacrifice of his only son. This is, again, a road sign pointing straight to God's ultimate sacrifice of his only son, male. But I want you to pay attention to without defect. If we could just transport ourselves this morning and pretend we're Israelites, and you've got a big herd of sheep or goats, and you know that every day, you've got to bring a burnt offering. You're trying to make a living. You're trying to make a business of things. You might survey the sheep, right? And sing, I've got to bring a burnt offering. Which one is leaning against? There's one leaning against the post that's about to die. I think it could die probably tomorrow. I'll give that one up. Or, or a blind one. Or that one is kind of mangy looking. I don't think it's going to make it. I mean, not a raise of hands, but how many of you just from a business standpoint would probably go, well, that seems smart. Just get rid of the stuff that doesn't matter. The problem is that God will ask always for the best. In this picture, he says, without defect, we know that God has Jesus live a perfect life without defect. He faces every temptation we would face without, without blemish. And physically, not a broken bone. So you couldn't pick the sheep that had a broken leg. In fact, in the end of the Old Testament, Malachi, God is just full of anger and wrath. And he tells the Israelites that how much they have abused the sacrifice. And you know what he says? He says, because you brought a diseased animal, one with a broken limb. And he even says, blind lambs. Now, this is important for us, because I don't think we, when we talk about being Christian, it means bringing your best and your first. You see, being Christian means you offer the best of you, the best of your time, the best of your provision, what you've been given financially, 
the best of your gifts. You don't bring the last. It's not like you eat and there's scraps left over. I'm giving that up to God. God asks, you're going to see very clearly in Scripture, you bring your best. This first offering is critical for this. It says you must present it at the entrance of the tent. Another way to say this, you could not come into the presence of God without this sacrifice. Now the burnt offering represented something. It meant you. The whole of you. You see this in verse 4. Here's the process. You would bring the animal in alive. Uh, I won't get, this is going to still be PG, but you brought, the, you brought this animal in alive and you laid your hand on the head of the animal. Why did God want that? He wanted you to know it should be you. He wanted some way, a connection to understand that who should be sacrificed right now is you. And so you'd lay your head on the animal, you would end the life, probably cut the throat, however they did it, and you would burn this up and it says, and it will be accepted on your behalf to make what? Atonement for you. Atonement means it pays the price for your sin guilt. It's the price that you should be paying. It should be you. This is powerful. This is how every person had to enter into God. Know that when we come to Christ, you don't almost come to Christ. You don't just start intellectually believing things about God and then finally intellectually being convinced that everything's right and then, oh, I'm good, I'm good. It's all been worked out for me. There is a sacrificial transaction of belief that means I am crawling onto the altar and saying I'm giving the whole of myself. Belief means a full surrender. I, I would question the 83% of Americans that say they're Christian. I, I would question that they might know things about God. They may buy certain things intellectually about God, but have they fully put themselves on the altar and said, God, you have my whole life. Ephesians 5 says it this way, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. We often hear, be like Jesus. As Christians, we hear, hey, read the New Testament and be like Jesus. Friends, being like Jesus is putting yourself on the altar. It's a full surrender. It's a full, you have the choice not to do that. You don't have to do that. But in order to be a Christian, in order to be a belief, have belief that matches your life, you're to crawl onto that altar every day. God, not my will, but yours. We're to be like Jesus. Paul will say it in Romans to us. He'll say it beautifully. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, how, what a merciful God that He doesn't just punish us for the, the sin we have. To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Paul is pointing straight to Leviticus. This text is pointing straight to the burnt offering. He's saying, offer yourself daily as the burnt offering. Your full life. We have so many degrees of people in belief about God that the 83% of Americans, I believe, has a very small percentage 
of those who are willing to be the burnt offering. The burnt offering represents your whole life. It's no longer yours. Read the New Testament. It has it all the way through it. My life is no longer mine, Paul talks about. This body is but a rental and a tent. I'm about to go somewhere else. My life, no matter what it comes, comes my way, is all for the glory of God. That's someone who's crawling on the altar every day. That's sacrifice one. Should we stop? Painful. Meal offering is number two. It's the second offering that would come, and this one's beautiful. The meal op- offering represented all I have. The burnt was my whole self on the altar. This is, God, I'm giving you credit and trusting you for all I have. It says, if anyone brings a grain offering to the Lord, their offering is to be of the finest flour. Once again, we see you can't bring out the leftovers. You don't bring leftovers to God. I'm going to stop for a moment because really he's going to give some instruction on this. He says, um, latter part of verse 2, put this together with all the incense and burn this as a memorial portion on the altar, a food offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. I'm just going to quickly get into one of the expressions of this is tithing. And this is where so many people are afraid to talk about this. But friends, this is a very big part of our faith. This is a very big part of our faith, not because pastors are strong-arming you to do it, but because it says something about trust. Jesus will say often in the New Testament, don't trust anything or anyone else for provision except me. We live in a culture today that we have a choice. You're going to be able to walk out of these doors and decide whether you want to go out to lunch. You're going to get to decide if you want to drive and just take a drive and enjoy the day. Or go fishing. Go to the cabin. The choice is go to buy a new pair of shoes. The choices we have today, we've lost perspective. And what happens for me, and I would say most, most people, is the more I have, the harder it is for me to trust God for those. Because you know what start, I start to, to think? Not even consciously. I don't need anything. I, I don't need anything. That's why Jesus will say money's not bad and wealth is not bad, but it's harder for a rich man to get through what? To heaven like a camel getting through the eye of a needle. That creates some small margin for that. An expression of keeping money and provision off of the altar of self-sufficiency was giving Tithing became a very big ritual in culture then. And so first fruits, as we call our giving time, the, the crops would come up, the first ones, and they'd pull them out. I know Trish and I, when we first got married, we were trying to figure out our family backgrounds on tithing. What did that look like? It took us a while to land there. We do do 10%. But it took us a while to trust and say, doing that first is difficult. It says something. <gasps> But what if we can't do this at the end? Now, I'm not saying God is like this magic you know, money tree. All of a sudden, if you start giving 10%, wow, you're going to be rich. Like, I'm not selling that. I will say, we have been blessed in other ways that I think even just trusting 
I think the blessing of, God, how will this happen this month? We're not sure. There's something that happens with this meal offering concept that is somewhat connected to tithing. It was an expression of, God, I am trusting you for provision. Now, imagine the Israelites. The Israelites were, what were they in Egypt? They were slaves. And they, remember what, what God said them to do? He said, go door to door and ask the Egyptians, what, what, for gold, silver, linen? And instantly, what? They got it. They became, not, they were no longer slaves. They were a nation that was wealthy. And then you hear God saying, ask anyone who would be, give a free will offering. So this sacrifice starts to pop up quite a bit. A meal offering. Belief in God not only means full surrender of ourselves, it means a full trust for His provision. We trust Him for provision. I would say to some people believe, they say they believe in God, but I don't think they trust Him for full provision. Do you recognize today that we might want to say that we've earned what we have? That's easy. I can fall there too. The problem with that theology is there are kids in third world and teenagers and, and adults that have worked three times as hard as we have in the short life that they have. Work doesn't necessarily equate to wealth. God's provision comes by His own sovereignty. By you being born where you were born, by getting the chances that you got, whatever that is, it's God's. God will ask me at the end of my life, what did you do with what I gave you? You're going to hear me talk about that at Ripple. I believe our church will be held accountable for not how nice our carpets are, but how did we use this for Him? For Him. It is belief in God and His trust for His provision. Psalms 54 says, I will sacrifice a free will offering to you. I'll praise your name for it is good. I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. This is all throughout your Scriptures and all throughout the Old Testament gives this great picture of a surrendering, a saying, God, you first. Thank you. Now we're going to move into the sin offerings. Remember I said there were three sweet smelling. We've moved off of that because there's this last one, uh, the peace offering or the fellowship offering comes last. The two sin offerings, Leviticus chapter 4, the Lord says to Moses, Say to the Israelites, when anyone sins unintentionally and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands, uh, he goes on to, if the anointed priest sins, bringing guilt on the people, he must bring a young bull. Uh, If the whole Israelite community sins unintentionally and does what is forbidden, even though the community is unaware of the matter, they realize their guilt and the sin they committed becomes known. So they bring a sacrifice. This sacrifice, this sin offering or guilt offering has to do with this. It's recognize you're guilty even if you didn't mean it. Do you understand? So we've said a couple weeks ago, we talked about the fall. We know that we're called sons and daughters of Adam. That means we have been born this way. The Lady Gaga song, you know, we've been born this way. I agree, we've been born with a sin nature. I'm not perfect. I am physically flawed. I am mentally flawed. All those sin has affected all of creation, 
All, that probably gives you a lot of comfort, by the way, new timers. Uh, your pastor's mentally flawed, so don't, don't put that on social media. We're born with guilt, a sin guilt. This offering meant I recognize that. Whether or not I could articulate the sins I have this week, I recognize I am guilty. Belief in God means we confess our sin guilt. First, I'm, a full, I'm fully surrendering. I'm a burnt offering. Second, full trust in you, God, a meal offering. Third, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. I, I sin. Our church is flawed. Some of you here this morning may be new and you're looking for a perfect church. Hey, just newsflash, we're not. We're far from it. And I'm first in line as being flawed. I'm guilty. It makes it a whole lot easier for me to go to a prison or meet someone who's struggling in sin or even who is willingly sinning. And I can recognize that I don't have a lot of place to point fingers at anyone else because I'm just as guilty. Doesn't mean I share truth with them. Doesn't mean I don't want to bring the hope of Christ to them, but I recognize my guilt. Can you imagine the assembly? They're offering these animals. They're offering a burnt sacrifice. That means should be me, God. Here's the meal offering. Thank you for everything I have. I'm going to trust you. Here's a sin offering because I know I'm guilty. I don't know a lot of people today that just admit guilt. You're a sinner. You and I are sinful. Now we've been freed from the penalty of sin through Christ. We no longer have to submit to the power of sin by the Holy Spirit, but God has yet to remove the presence of sin. And when He returns, He will remove the presence of sin. Belief in God means that we confess our sin guilt. Psalm 69, You, God, know my folly. My guilt is not hidden from you. I don't know what your devotional life is like, and one of the things we've been doing with this series is trying to get you re-inspired to get back in your Bible because there is a common theme in growing Christians today in the world. You know what it is? They read their Bible. They're reading their Bible because it is the moral compass. It is the direction for their life. It is giving them conviction and direction. And it's so disturbing when I hear someone say, yeah, I'm a Christian, I come to community. Hey, do you read your Bible? No, I don't read. I don't know. How's the Spirit convicting you of anything? Psalms 51, David, love this passage. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, you, God, will not despise. These sacrifices are not physical sacrifices any longer. I read that in Hebrews. No longer does do we have to offer up our you know our animals or our pets. You know, you don't have to bring your dog today up to the altar and end its life. I know some of you'd like to. Um, It is a metaphor, it is a road sign to talk about what it means to believe in God and to give your life to Him. You guys. Being a Christian today isn't saying, I go to that place. Being Christian today doesn't mean I'm a good person. 
Being Christian today doesn't mean you have a credit system of how you think you've done well. It means you identify in the knowing and the sacrificing of Jesus Christ and you bring offering in that belief. You express it with offering. You bring a broken and contrite heart. The second part of this sin offering is a little bit different. This was called trespass offering, and this really quickly, this was sins you recognized you did. It was like when you pasted or you, you posted on Facebook and you slandered somebody or you went after them, right? It's when you gossiped this week about somebody that you said something about somebody, and if they were there, you would never say that. It was you cheated on something, you, you looked at something. I don't know what it is, but you were aware of it. This sacrifice was brought knowing you did something and it was sin. This could be for a lot of things. You know, you might have handshaked somebody with boils back in the Old Testament. Up, oh, unclean, I messed up. And you knew it. Anyone becomes aware that they are guilty. Now notice the difference between the two. I'm admitting my guilt even though I don't know what I did. I'm just sinful. This one is, I am aware of what I've done. I'm, pretty, I'm guilty in both camps, friends, this morning. I don't want you. I'm, I am. I, I don't want to pretend because I can... My theology and my teaching and my hermeneutics don't make me more spiritual. Do you realize that? No priest is more spiritual than any other person. That, that's a big mistake that we bring up and we elevate this role. That... I'm just like you. I, I'm tempted. I sometimes sin. I make bad decisions. I am as guilty as you and I. We're to bring this trespass offering, as the Scripture says, and it's a belief in God. In God means we accept His perfect sacrifice for our sin. Not only do I admit my guilt, but I accept God's gift of Jesus Christ. I accept it. I know I need it. Belief is not simply intellectually, as I keep saying, I'm identifying myself as Christian. No, it means something. It's a sacrifice. There's something that that transaction of belief looks like something. And it's giving your whole self on the altar. It's saying, I'm, I'm trusting you, God, for provision. It's saying, God, I'm guilty. And I know, even though I can't recall my sin, I am a sinful person. It's God, I need Jesus. We're going to go to communion soon. This, this sacrifice means every time, as Jesus said, do this often. As often as you can. Why? He knew he'd forget. We need that sacrifice. Nothing I can do earns my way to anything. It is the sacrifice that I accept. Romans 3 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. Atonement, again, means to pay for. It's a ransom. Through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. The last offering. Remember I said there was two Free, these sweet-smelling free will offerings, and it was the burnt and the meal. We had the two sin. Now at the end, 
at the end of this worshiping that would happen 24-7, the nation of Israel for hundreds of years, this idea of bringing sacrifices, Leviticus 3 talks about at the end, save this for the end, it's called the fellowship offering or the peace offering. If you're offering a fellowship offering and you offer an animal from the herd, whether male or female, present it before the Lord. Without defect, by the way, bring the best. And, and just so you know, there were villages and cities through the nation of Israel, of one being Bethlehem, that their main source of income was raising sacrificial animals. Bethlehem. What great sacrifice is born in Bethlehem? Jesus himself. I mean, these sacrifices point directly to Jesus. It says, you were to lay a hand on the head of the offering and slaughter it at the entrance of the tent of the meeting. This was to celebrate the peace and the alliance with God. It's giving Him glory and thanks. Belief in God means we give Him all glory and thanks for all things. You see how different this is? And I think we can reduce it because of our religious patterns we get into. Come on a Sunday, we get a couple songs, you get your coffee, you come in and sit down. It's not bad, I'm saying that's good. Someone's wearing a t-shirt in the front row last service that says, um, fueled by Jesus plus coffee, which was interesting. Look what we've done to you. Um, Faith is so much bigger than Sunday. Belief is so much bigger than just associating with and creating a label. It is a hunger to offer free will. God, I gladly crawl onto the altar and offer my full self. Even though I think certain things are right, but when I read the Bible, I go, wow, God, I don't like this, but I sacrifice myself. I'm going to offer trust for provision. And I'm going to be a giver. I'm going to be generous because you are changing me. It's, it's free will. This offering that starts to be a part of what belief looks like. I'm defining belief. And you give glory and honor to God in all things. 2 Corinthians 4 says it this way, since we have the same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. I want to just stop there. I highlighted that for a reason. I can tell the level of belief when people, by what they speak about. We're, we're looking at pictures of our daughter Lauren and they, they took these engagement pictures. And I can see our daughter and when we're, we're like get teary because we go, oh my gosh, she loves him. You can just tell by the picture. But even more, when I talk to her, because you know what she tells me about? She tells me about Garrett. When you talk, what do you talk about? It says, we also believe and therefore, because of the belief we speak. I love this passage because I begin to, I can't help but talk about the love I have for God. We have reduced our culture and bought into this secular mindset that, friends, is not new. Can I tell you, our world isn't getting worse. It has been the same. 
You go to Corinth, Ephesus, Rome, any, any ancient city, pluralism, a secular pluralism was all there. And here's what it means. It gets to this point, the morality of a city will be this. Hey, you can believe whatever you want in private, but do not speak about it and live it out in public. You're to just adapt and be like everyone else. Friends, I, I, I hate to break this to you, but the longer you live in a secular society, the harder it, will, it should get. And I'm not saying make it difficult, so don't be a bonehead, right? We're not out there trying to beat people up. But when you start to speak about the love for you have, that have for Jesus, when you start to make decisions about your belief this way, it will be countercultural. It won't make sense. They'll say you're not loving. They'll say you don't care. You say you're judgmental. And again, you shouldn't be any of those things. You should be loving. But it will be countercultural. We speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit. So that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause what? thanksgiving to overflow from the glory of God. When we begin to believe the way we're talking about this morning, and it starts to be something we speak about, it creates a ripple effect. It's why we are using our campaign that way, because it is, it's a ripple. It starts to impact people. I didn't tell this story the last service, I'm going to say it now. There's a couple that was introduced to our church not by attending, but online viewing. They might even be watching right now. I'm not going to mention who they are. They wrote us a letter last week, and they are so profoundly changed and redefined what they thought belief was in being Christian. I'll just say they wrote a very large check and said, we can't help but want to be a part. They might have been here Maybe this many times total. They don't even live here. They said we're apart. When we begin to live out the gospel, belief that looks like full surrender laying on the altar, when it means that I give of what I have to God first and trust in provision, when I give Him glory and thanks, when I, when I, when I lean to the reality that I'm guilty, all those things, they, it sends a message. And people see God. Friends, if you're church shopping, can I tell you, you find a place where God's working is where his name's getting famous, not the pastor, not the building. It's where his name's getting famous. So this burnt offering, meal offering, and fellowship offering are beautiful, but can I show you that the guilt and trespass offering, the beauty of knowing Jesus, he one time made that sacrifice, and it's all done. Do you know there's no sacrifice in the Old Testament for premeditated sins like murder and rape and some of the stealing? There was no. You was an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. The beauty of the New Testament and the grace that God offers, even for intentional sin, God offers grace. He pays the price. So then, we look at our New Testament, and friends, do the study yourself if you don't believe me. You will sense Jesus always calling people to believe, and it meant give your full self. Trust me for provision. 
Offer me the glory and praise. Every, every passage you can read, you're going to start to see that. Paul talking about that. James talking about that. Peter talking about that. Matthew. So this morning, I want to ask you a question. Do you believe? I mean, it sounds like a weird question to ask a church, and I see a lot of you every week, but do you really believe? Or are you like those three boys that don't really realize who's in your presence? You, you talk about something, but you haven't really realized the presence of Christ in front of you, in relationship with you. Because belief will transform you. As we go to communion this morning, I'm going to ask you to think about a couple things. I'm going to ask you to think about what your belief looks like. This is not Jesus plus anything else. It is as your belief heartfelt. And are you laying yourself on the altar and are you trusting Him for everything? You might not be this morning. If you are a Christ follower and you feel like, gosh, I, I do offer these, then you get to celebrate communion with the recognition that we all get to go there understanding what we deserve, but what we receive. Jesus said, if you're going to take communion, you need to know Him. Paul will talk about that in Corinthians. You don't need an intercessor for that. You don't need a priest to give you communion. It says scripturally, Jesus says Himself, do this as often as you can. And He says, when you do this, remember Me. Remember the sacrifice I gave you. Man, as Christ followers, as believers, we should go to communion together and feel the blessed grace and mercy we receive from Jesus. The sacrifice. No longer do sheep and goats and bulls have to be sacrificed, but one came that I might have freedom in Christ. And now you have the chance to express that same type of life of offering. I'm going to pray for us this morning, and then you can take together as you feel the chance to be led. Father in heaven, we're amazed at your grace and mercy for us. God, might we be true believers that don't just talk about belief like you're just an intellectual idea or thought that we agree with, but God, we would be compelled to be transformed from our hands to our feet and that our mouths could not help but be opened up to speak of your great glory. In Jesus' name, amen.